Welcome to the Journey of a Christian Dad podcast. I'm your host, Dan Lewis. Who is the spiritual leader of your family? Is it you, your pastor, your spouse, the media? Do you know? I did. And sadly, no one was taking responsibility to lead our family. Well, friends, someone needs to take that job, and that man is you. You may not feel qualified, and some days I don't. With the help of God and a community of dads helping each other on their journey, you can be the leader your family deserves. We welcome you to the Journey of the Christian Dad podcast. All right, guys, welcome back. Welcome back. So we'll jump right into it. I'll talk a little bit about the iTunes or I guess Apple podcast review of the week, and then I'll share a funny thing with you. Uh, So let's dive in. So this one comes from kind of funny. I don't know why, but Mama Riley is, uh, is the name this person used. So man, woman, who knows, but Mama Riley, thanks so much for your five-star review. Uh, You titled it, Men Need This. Men Need Podcasts Like This, a space where things are discussed that a lot of men wouldn't feel comfortable talking about or seeking out help. Thanks for all your wisdom. So this is great. What a cool uh, cool review to read today because I'm talking with a, a lifetime, lifelong counselor and I definitely hear that from guys like, no, I'm not going to the counselor. I'm not weak. I'm not, you know, all those type things. So before we jump in today, funny thing, I got a a one star, not a review, but it counts as a review on uh, on Apple podcast. And I said, oh, my gosh, finally, I finally got one. Thankfully, I've had plenty of rejection or people attack me over the past. So I wasn't, you know. Uh, my heart didn't sink to the floor. Instead, I thought, all right, I got it. I finally got a one star. This is great. You know, we can move on from here. I can get rid of the five star, you know, average. Now, let me go in and dive in and see what this person attacked me for. At least I, I feel a one star feels like an attack. And there wasn't anything. It was just blank. It was just a random one star. Let me just go shotgun one stars across the universe for people and spread negativity. I'm like, man, I couldn't learn a thing from that. But uh, in that moment, I'm like, you know, thanks for, thanks for, uh, you know, giving me a little something to, to work on and work through rejection with. And when people attack you or reject you or what have you, it gives you the opportunity to uh, make a choice and do something. How you respond as opposed to react. So it's really, really cool that I've got Dr. Gary Lawrence here with us today, and he's got a book that he wrote called Rejection Junkies. He's got a lifelong uh, counseling business. He's counseled personally over 6,000 clients, and he's overseen the counseling of another 10,000 clients with uh, with a couple different offices that he's had. He's had a weekly radio show, and uh, he's been married for 55 years also to his wife, Sylvia. So I'm excited to just jump in and, and throw things at you and see where this thing goes because, um, yeah, you, <laughs> you've got an instant way of just making me feel comfortable and and an energetic way about you where I just know you're dying to help people. So thank you for, for coming on the show, Dr. Gary. Oh my goodness, Dan. Thank you so much for the opportunity to be here and join you and, and visit with your audience, maybe bring some knowledge to them that they can embrace and uh, be strengthened and encouraged uh, in their day-to-day life. Well, great. Well, thanks for being willing to just jump in and get after it. So sure. we'll skip the backstory and all that stuff today, guys, because there's going to be a lot comes out good. So something I find when people either become Christians or we've been Christians for a while or we're considering being Christian, you know, maybe we were lukewarm or maybe we had a toe in the water at one point or whatever. And 
you think of, oh, great. Once I'm a great Christian, everything's going to be perfect and marriage will be perfect and life will be perfect. Or maybe once in a while things were pretty perfect and then things aren't anymore. And you're like, what the heck? Like, I think I'm doing this right. I think I'm, think I'm a good Christian. I think I'm going the right path. And we forget some, uh, verses in the Bible and we forget some things that say there's always going to be trouble. You know, if things are good now, there'll be another storm. So what have you got to say to Christians that are like, you know, I think I'm doing this right. I think I'm a good Christian and I'm still pretty miserable right now. Well, you know what? I appreciate that, Dan. Um, I, I don't do good, better, and best, okay? Uh, <laughs> and uh, so uh, the, the biggest problem most people have is they're always comparing themselves to other people. Now, when I got saved, I was 20 and a half years old, and I was raised in an agnostic family. Both of my parents were extreme alcoholics. And there was a lot of verbal and physical and emotional abuse in my background. And uh, so uh, I left my home when I was 16 years old and uh, kind of wandered around. Uh, I did finish high school, but then uh, I attended church down in Connorsville, Indiana, and uh, heard the gospel of Jesus Christ for the first time, and I got saved. And, uh, you know, within the first couple of weeks of my new life, I couldn't figure out why, if being a Christian is so wonderful, why am I still so miserable? Because I had patterns of hostility, uh, uh, depression, uh, anxiety. I worried all the time. Uh, I lived a life of lasciviousness, but that's the environment I was raised in. Sorry, Dr. Gary, I got to back you up for a second. Sure. 99% of the audience went lasciviousness. I got to get a dictionary out. Can you save them the trouble? <laughs> oh, yeah, sure. Okay. Uh, well, I was a single guy, and all I did was chase women. That's what I thought you meant. Yeah, I was out. I was very, very sexually active. And, of course, now I got when I got saved, I heard, now that you're saved, stop your smoking. Now that you're saved, stop your drinking. Now that you're saved, give up sex. And I thought, my goodness, if being saved is so wonderful, I don't think I want this, you know, because you had to start detaching yourself from the elements of the world, right? But anyway, uh, so uh, what I didn't understand is a lot of things I do now. I'm 79 years old and uh, figuring out what I'm going to do when I grow up, okay? (laughs) But um, uh, I met my wife, Sylvia, in Bible college down there in Springfield, Missouri, and uh, she was raised in a very strong Christian home environment. Boy, they were in church every Sunday and every uh, Wednesday. And uh, her mom was involved in all the women's groups and so on. But when Sylvia was seven years old, she developed tuberculosis. And from age of seven to 12, that's when her father was sexually abusing her. And her mother, even though she was active in church, on the outward side, she looked like the good Christian but she was horribly physically abusive. One time she beat my wife so bad when Sylvia was nine years old, Sylvia literally could not walk afterwards. Hmm. And so here we are, we're in Bible college. Uh, I'm a new Christian, and I'm meeting this beautiful brown-eyed, olive-skinned brunette. And I said to my roommate, Bob, you see that beautiful girl over there in the blue outfit? And he said, yeah, what about her? I said, I'm going to ask her out for a date. And then I said, well, I'll probably end up marrying her. Well, I uh, asked her out for a date. We dated four months and got married. And that was 56 years ago, Dan. And wow. So, yeah. Uh, the good news is we think we have things pretty well worked out now. So we're going to stay together. You guys <laughs> figured that out. Good. Yeah, good. we figured that out, man. <laughs> so, well, what happened? Uh, you know, we got married and uh, we didn't realize what the uh, emotional setup was. Uh, 
she handled her rejection by withdrawing. She became the escaper. Uh, she would literally hide in the basement to, to get away from her mother. And the sexual abuse was an, another matter we're discussed. But anyway, uh, uh, that uh, I handled my rejection by being a survivor. I will fight back. I will be in control. I will survive. So unbeknownst to us, we had a love for the Lord, but we had no knowledge of the rejection patterns that we had both developed. I say it like this. When it comes to marriage, opposites attract, then they attack, and then they retract. It's a three-step process that happens in every marriage. I don't know anybody that hasn't gone through those three steps. First, it's attraction, then it's attacked, and then it's retracting. And uh, so when we got married, uh, we'd been married about three months, and I had come home from a trip on Sunday night. I was on a road trip. And, uh, you know, it was about midnight. I'm a young married man, 22 years old then, and I wanted to be with my new bride. So I got home, fixed me something to eat, took a shower, got in bed, snuggled my wife. And Dan, she literally jumped out of bed so fast, she slammed herself against the wall. And for the next four hours, she sat there with her knees drawn up to her chest, said, please don't tell my daddy what you're doing to me. He told me, never let another man touch me like he did. Oh, my God. That was my introduction to her sexual abuse. And uh, uh, that uh, four-hour time, uh, I thought she was having a nervous breakdown. Well, we would call that PTSD today, right? Yes, yes. Uh, Yeah, big time. But uh, anyway, that was my introduction. And boy, I tell you, you talk about an instant instant spirit of hate and anger. And uh, the next 10, 12 years of our marriage were not happy years. Uh, uh, We were mostly frustrated. Pardon? 10 to 12 years. 10 to 12 years. Uh, And uh, what happened is uh, I ended up going to, uh, as a missionary to Canada, to Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada. I did not know anybody there. And I had a good number of churches here supporting me. And uh, so um, uh, I I just started knocking doors. I rented an empty Lutheran church building. And in six months, we had 170 in our congregation. In three years, we had uh, we bought five acres of land and built a 450-seat auditorium. And then we built a facility for 125 students for a private school. And then over the next years, we helped. Uh, we started uh, another church and another school. And then we helped start five other churches and got five other preachers into Canada. And we helped start seven more schools. So my ministry was aglow. My ministry was on fire. But guess what, Dan? My marriage was crumbling around me. And uh, Celia had decided to leave me. And you know, the sad thing is, my first response to that news was not, well, what can I do to be a better husband? What can I do to be a wiser man? Uh, My response was, what are people in the church going to think about me? See, I Mm -hmm. was worried about my precious reputation, you know. And uh, so I told Sylvia, if you don't leave me, give me some time. I will get in the Word of God and find the answer. Now, once you know, I went to two different Christian counselors, and Dad, all I got out of them was, well, you just need to get closer to God, or you need to pray more. Uh, you, you need to find a more effective way to serve the Lord. And it was nothing but performance-focused, okay? And uh, then I heard and, that. And, and you, you, need, you need to find a different or better way to serve the Lord as you're right. discipling right. and growing churches. and Right. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, get busy for God, and you'll have more value. Is what they were saying. So there is some caution so, to that for the guys that are out there that are, or guys and wives and what have you that get busy at church and 
right by you right. know we can get guys can get busy at work but guys can also and especially women can get busy at church too and right get so preoccupied with everything outside of the house there's a big theologian that died a while back and his wife came out and said you know he loved the lord with all his heart yeah i'm not sure that i'm certain he ever actually loved me oh my goodness wow um, that is so that, that's sad isn't it it is it really really yeah. is and I, and i get it you know you can get on fire for christ on fire for god but man that makes me sad to hear that well uh, most christians gain their value based on what they do not who they are okay uh, if I can win more souls to the Lord, if I can go to church more, if I read the word more, if I pray more, if I do this, if I do that, if I do this, if I do that, the busier they get, they think they're creating more value. And the reason we have such a breakdown in the Christian home is because most Christian men don't understand uh, the importance and the ability to love themselves unconditionally as God does. I say it like this, Dan, a man's ability to love his wife is the overflow of his own self-esteem. If a man doesn't have a healthy acceptance and understanding and love for who he is, as God knows him to be, he will never have the ability to love his wife on a healthy level. It's an impossibility. You can't give what you don't have. If you don't have a healthy self-love, you can't give love to others. It's an impossibility, Dan. Okay? So I, I want people to know uh, I, I, in my book, Rejection Junkies, and by the way, they can go to my website. It's rejectionjunkies.com. Uh, in my book, Rejection Junkies, I start out helping people understand where does it all begin? The subtitle of my book is uh, The Hidden Addiction, uh, How You Can Overcome the Hidden Addiction Everyone Suffers. Every man and woman on some level has some form of addiction to creating rejection in their life. Now, uh, where, where do we learn this? Well, by the time a person's eight years old, 80% of their emotional patterns are formed. By age 18, 100% of their self-image is formed. Now, let me say that again, because I'm going to bring out a point. By age eight, 80% of our emotional patterns are formed. By age 18, 100% of our self-image is formed. So when you go into your 20s and your 30s and your 40s and your 50s, well, you may make a little money. You may get a better education. You may have some wrinkles. You may be getting gray hair. But the bottom line is you are nothing more than an adult body with the emotional patterns of an eight-year-old child. I, I had a fellow, his, his, he and his wife came to me for counseling. He was an 80-year-old retired medical practitioner. And when he heard me say, by age eight, 80% of your emotional patterns are formed, he literally interrupted me, Dan. And he said, well, Doc, what you're saying is I'm an eight-year-old child. I'm an 80-year-old child. And I said, yeah, that's right. Well, his wife leaned over and patted him on the leg <laughs> and said, see, sweetheart, I told you for years you act like a little boy. <laughs> <laughs> and that is so true of all of us. And so uh, the, the bottom line is uh, when people become a Christian, uh, they are introduced into a let's get busy for God relationship and their whole value system based on their performance. Now, what I'm going to say may shock your audience, but I hope it captures their attention. The one thing I try to do with every Christian is to get them to stop living for the Lord. Now, that's totally different than what you hear, isn't it, Dan? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So I say every Christian should stop living for the Lord because 
frustrate Christians live for the Lord. Spirit-controlled Christians let the Lord live through them, okay? In Galatians uh, 5, 22 and 23, it says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. Against us there is no law. So if they will stop living for the Lord and position themselves to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord— and let the Holy Spirit live through them and manifest himself through them. It will make a tremendous change in your life. But here's the sad thing. Uh, what, what stops that from happening? Well, in, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15, uh, we are told, look diligently, lest any person fails of the grace of God, misses out on the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. You see, bitterness defiles the individual and, and it troubles many, okay? Uh, uh, bitterness is a root. You can't see the roots of bitterness. And, you know, bitterness is not a friendly word. Uh, bitterness is not a happy word. It certainly isn't the kind of word you want to embrace. People say, well, I'm not bitter. Uh, well, uh, anger is a res uh, uh, is nothing more than a response. Bitterness is an inward resentment. When I found out that my wife had been sexually abused and the damage that did to her mentally and emotionally, uh, I had a tremendous root of bitterness towards my father-in-law. Heck yeah. Yeah, big time. And I was justified. See, I tell folks, uh, what's happened to you, you have the right to be bitter. Uh, I, I don't blame you for being bitter. I'm not here to put you down because you are bitter, but you have to understand when you have bitterness in your heart, it's like you drinking a cup of poison and waiting for the other person to die. Yeah, it's it's not going to happen. You're going to end up killing yourself. And so, uh, what I did, I developed a counseling technique, and I call it the emotional surgery, where I position my clients to literally cut that root of bitterness and put it to death once and for all. So uh, there, there has to be an understanding of how God created the individual. Now, Dan, you know, we are created in his image. Would you agree with me on that? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Okay. So God, the Father, God, the Son, and God, the Holy Spirit. God is mm -hmm. a triunity. Mm -hmm. Well, as a human being, we are triunities. We are a body, we are a soul, and we are a spirit. Yeah. Okay. Now, without the Lord Jesus Christ, we are dead spiritually. That means our spirit is dull. There's no life. There's no breath in our spirit. Now, we are alive mentally and emotionally. We are alive physically, but we are dead spiritually. And so when I accepted Christ as my Savior, I did not know this, but the Holy Spirit came to dwell in me. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I'm trying to remember. I think it's Ephesians 4.13. Uh, let me find it here, as a matter of fact. Uh, uh, it says, Hereby know we that we dwell in him, and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. So uh, when people get saved, they don't realize the Holy Spirit has come to dwell in them. Uh, and I'll use you for an example, Dan. Uh, how much of a Christian are you? <laughs> how much? What, what would the scale be? What would the measurement be? Well, let, let me ask you this question. Are you a male? Yes. How much of a male? Well, 
these days i think that many people debate whatever but 100 100 percent. well we're not talking about all that 67 gender junk right 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 yeah. exactly i'll say there's right. just two it's real so simple right. so when you were born you were born a male right right 100 percent male right how old are you dan 51 are are you more of a male today than you were when you were born nope why not 100 you're 100 percent. so when you became a Christian and you accepted Christ as your Savior, did you receive the Holy Spirit? Yes. How much of the Holy Spirit did you receive? An infinite amount. Right, 100%. See, are you part a Christian or completely a Christian? Well, completely a Christian, I guess. Sure. I guess my uh, cautiousness is, uh, you know, some days I feel, I feel 100%. Some days Other you days, don't act like a Christian, but, you know, yeah, I say it like yeah. this. Sometimes our behavior betrays our character. Yeah. Okay. Uh, sometimes there are things I've done and said I wish I hadn't said and done. But you know what? The Holy Spirit lives in me. Okay. So it's, it's not a matter of how do you behave. It's a matter of what do you believe. Mm -hmm. So let me go back again. See, you're stumbling with it. And I understand why. Because that's where I was many years ago. So when you got saved, how much of the Holy Spirit did you receive? Yeah, 100%. 100%. Has the Holy Spirit left you? Nope. Nope. Never. So you're still 100% a Christian. Right. And see, the reason I'm bringing this out, Dan, man is the triunity. We are a body, a soul, and a spirit. Now, our spirit, after we're saved, is that part of us. It's our God consciousness. It's that part of us that says, this is right, this is wrong. It's that part of our existence that communicates and fellowships with God. We are in him, and he is in us. Mm -hmm. Okay, but here's where the problem is. It's in the soul. Now, most people don't understand what the soul is comprised of. The soul is comprised of three elements. It's our mind. It's what we know to be true. It's our emotions. It's what we uh, what we feel to be true. And it's our will. That's our ability to respond to life's circumstances. Now, when what we know and how we feel are in conflict, then our ability to respond is damaged. It's hindered. See, for an example, well, I know God loves me. I don't feel like God loves me. Well, I know I'm doing the right thing. I don't feel like I'm doing the right thing. Well, I know I'm successful, but I don't feel like I'm successful. Uh, I know I can be a man of God, but I don't feel like I can be a man of God. You see, it's not based on our performance. It's based on our position. See, and if I can uh, get Christian people to stop performing, uh, 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 focusing on their performance and start performing on their position, you will be amazed at the radical changes that, that are made in their life. Now, uh, uh, let me give you an example. This is kind of humorous. I think your audience will enjoy this. I had a fellow and his wife come to me for counseling, and he was involved in an extramarital affair. And his wife was just in tears. Oh, she was full of wrath. And she just hated him for betraying their uh, marriage vows. And so I knew I had to uh, get her out of the office so I could talk to him alone. So I asked her, step out in the reception area. I need to visit with your husband. And so she did. And so after I closed the door, I sat down with her. I said, now I'm going to ask you a question. And uh, I want you to answer it honestly. Don't look at the ceiling. Don't look sideways. Don't look at that, the floor. But look me in the eyes and answer my question. Okay, you're not in trouble with me. I'm not your wife, okay? <laughs> and uh, uh, he said, okay. I said, uh, are you, in fact, involved in an extra marital relationship, having sexual relationships 
with this woman your wife was telling me about. And he said, well, uh, well, uh, and he looked all around. Look all around. Yeah. Looked all around. Didn't look in my eyes. And he said, well, uh, we're, we're, we're just kind of playing around with each other. And I thought, okay, <laughs> I hope you're having fun playing around. And he that, then he said, well, Dr. G, uh, if I talk to you about, am I going to have to uh, give up the affair? And uh, I said, oh, no, 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 no. My goodness. I don't want you giving up that affair for nothing. He says, you don't? I said, no, no, no. Uh, keep the affair. I said, stop thinking of how hard you've worked to make this affair happen. Stop thinking of how much money you've spent on. Stop thinking of all the lies you had to tell to cover up your affair. You have worked so hard for that affair. I want you to keep it. And he looked at me and says, are you a Christian counselor? I said, oh, yeah, I sure am. I said, you see, I'm not going to focus on your behavior. That's not the problem. That's a symptom. But there's something in your life that has compelled you to step outside your marriage to complete the value that you think you deserve. And so your affair is nothing more than a symptom. Let's get to the root cause of that behavior. Yeah. See, I'm not here to condemn you. I'm here to help you get free mentally and emotionally and embrace the spiritual freedom that God has already given you. And you know what? He just kind of breathed a sigh of relief. He said, oh, I'm so glad to hear that. See, he'd been to several other Christian counselors, and all they did was say, man, you got to give that up. Uh, you got to stop that behavior. Well, if he stopped it, then what? He wouldn't have the tools to know how to love his wife. And you see, in my counseling process, uh, what I do is I get them free from the past so I can bring them into the present and position them to create the future that they really want. Does that make sense? What was that guy's root? Oh, he was, had a terrible bitterness towards his mother. Uh, she was very controlling, and uh, she was very uh, narcissistic. Well, guess what kind of a personality he married? Yeah. Just like his mother. And why is that? Because emotionally, he was addicted to being taken care of. He was addicted to being controlled. So unconsciously, in his um, uh, search for a wife, unconsciously, he had to recreate that rejection environment that he was raised in. Huh. Does that make sense? It totally makes sense. Right. That's why my book is called Rejection Junkies. Just like marijuana, cocaine, alcohol, tobacco, uh, any kind of physical addiction, people get addicted to recreating rejection. So let's go back to mine and Sylvia's marriage. Here we are, young college kids. Uh, and I thought, uh, you, you know, you, you hear these people say, well, I, I saw her and I just fell in love. No, you didn't fall in love. There's no such thing as falling in love. You fell in lust. Yeah. Okay. Love is something you build. Love is something that is developed. Uh, love is something that takes biblical knowledge and a uh, spiritual commitment to build on a healthy level. Would you agree with that, Dan? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, right. it's hundred percent lust, and you get some uh, you get some somewhat trouble free months, maybe a few years, and then after that, you go on to the to the next phase. Right. Well, I remember Sylvia and I, we were down in El Paso, Texas for a weekend, and we were driving back to Albuquerque, and I'd already started my counseling ministry. But uh, she was so dysfunctional in so many ways. Oh, uh, and then I had upbringing, uh, with that upbringing, 100%. Oh, yeah, big time. And I, I had just decided, you know, God had blessed my counseling practice in so many ways that I'm just going to go ahead and get divorced. And I'm going to move to Las Vegas, Nevada, and start a new counseling ministry. Uh, everybody in Las Vegas is divorced, right? <laughs> so right, right. 
uh, that was my mindset at the time. And I told Sylvia, I said, honey, I, I've decided I'm just going to go ahead and file for divorce because I can't spend the rest of my life living with an emotionally crippled woman. The rest of my I just can't do it. And uh, she said, well, I'm not like you. And I said, well, what do you mean you're not like me? Well, you're always mad. You're always yelling. And I Ooh. said, yeah, you're right. Well, see, I had that anger problem, right? Uh, and uh, so I said, you're right. You're not like me. But you know what, Sylvia? You're in bondage to your father and your mother. Uh, every night we go to bed, I sleep with your parents. Every day that we live, we live with them in our environment because you are so much, you live in so much fear and so much insecurity. No matter what I do or say, it's not bringing you out of it. And she started crying. And I said, uh, she said, well, I'm not, I'm not bitter. I said, honey, bitterness is not a fun word, but let me give you a definition of bitterness. Bitterness is an inward resentment. You show me someone you have a resentment towards, I'll show you someone you're bitter towards. Bitterness is a wounded spirit. I said, Sylvia, when your mother abused you physically, she wounded your spirit. She just didn't damage your body. She wounded your spirit. Okay. A bitterness is a fear. You show me someone you live in fear of. I'll show you someone you're in bondage to. Bitterness is a sense of guilt. You show me someone that makes you feel guilty when you're in their presence. I'll show you someone you're in bondage to. Uh, bitterness is an anxiety. Uh, bitterness is a sense of betrayal. Uh, bitterness is an avoidance. You show me someone you avoid being around, I'll show you someone you're in bondage to. And I said, Sylvia, you are in bondage to your mother and father, and you will never be able to live a free life mentally and emotionally. And she just broke out bawling. And I tell you, it was like that was a light bulb moment for her. Well, how do I get rid of this? And I thought, okay, well, for me to lead her to get rid of it, I got to get rid of my bitterness. Okay. <laughs> Darn it. Why did I teach her that? <laughs> yeah. Well, and you know, the scripture says that uh, sweet water and bitter water cannot flow through the same fountain. Uh, uh, what's your definition of bitterness, Dan? Oh, gosh. I don't know that I've thought about my definition of bitterness. I think of more just the uh, emotional, you know, outbursts of it. So the anger would be a, a quick one. Uh, you know, well, you, me you mentioned anxiety, you mentioned betrayal. Well, uh, so all those words come through my mind when I think about bitterness. Um, you know, I think poison. Okay. Uh, what's your, what's your definition of forgiveness? Definition of forgiveness is, is really free being free of resentment, being free of bitterness. Okay. That's the result of, of getting free of bitterness. Uh, I, I say it like this, uh, bitterness is the, rope that keeps you tied to the other person, but yet keeps you separated from them. Okay. Forgiveness. Uh, it's so, uh, how many times have you heard forgive and forget or how many times oh, have you heard thousands, thousands, right? How many times have you heard let go and let God thousands, right? Uh, forgiveness is so much more than that. Okay. Are you ready for this definition? Now this yeah, is my definition. It. You don't have to accept it, Dan. And and uh, I hope you're having me back on someday, but uh, <laughs> okay. Forgiveness is becoming more concerned for the needs of the offender than what they've done to offend you. Let me say that again. Forgiveness is becoming more concerned for the needs of the offender than what they've done to offend you. Now you stop and think when Jesus is on the cross, how could he give forgiveness? How could he stay on that cross? Because he was concerned more about our needs 
than what we've done to offend him. Now that makes a hundred percent sense to me. Right. And how that processed in my head was, as I think back upon times where I've had bitterness Right. Uh, earlier in the show, I talked about working on forgiveness and working through stuff like that. And I'm thinking of one particular person right now. And in that one, I was angry for about three days. Yeah. Angry, angry, angry. And I was trying to fight my way through it and trying to figure out a way to forgive and knowing that it wasn't good to stay in that space, but I couldn't no, figure right. out a way to, to get rid of it. I didn't want it, but I couldn't figure out a way to get rid of it. Right. I'm not used to having that feeling, you know, lately, because I, I, I don't live that kind of life where I take right. that stuff in. But this one was a, a pretty extreme betrayal. And I felt, you know, I did. I felt vengeful. I felt, you know, how do I get back? And every time I had that, something would want to come out of my mouth or off my fingers and type it to somebody. And instead, I'm like, no, that's not that's not a good Christian response. So finally I came to, you know, that person's hurting real bad. Right. And that person, and I've, I've known this about that person, even though that's not what they project. And finally I said, you know, I'm just going to pray for that person. I'm going to, you know, ask God to help that person. And well, you know, see, it might you, not be me that changes her direction in life. However, right. um, God can do that. And, and I, I'm right. not responsible for changing her direction. However, um, you know, well, here's the thing as I see, uh, you hit the nail on the head. You said that person is hurting. So when you become more concerned about the needs of the offender, yeah, and what they've done to offend you, then you're on the beginning of genuine forgiveness. You know, Steve, but, Covey, I think put yourself in the other person's shoes. And well, uh, no, I, I don't want to be in other people's shoes. I've got enough worry with my shoes. Okay. Yeah. 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 Uh, from perspective, you know, how could that person right. have got to this spot? Oh, seek to understand is what I meant to say. Right. So. There you go. Yeah. So anyway, I thought, well, how, how am I going to handle this? Well, I, I need to stop focusing on his performance, his behavior, and get free of my bitterness. I need to start focusing on forgiveness, genuine forgiveness. So I called my father and all up. We're just calling Bill. And I said, Bill, this is Gary. How are you doing? He said, well, I'm Okay. See, he was totally a nonverbal personality. Right. Okay. A non-affectionate. Sylvia never heard the words, I love you, from either of her parents. She was never given healthy affection on any level, but there was the sexual abuse. And so for many years, in early years of our marriage, that's all I focused on was his abuse. And so I said, uh, uh, Bill, I've been having some emotional problems, and the Lord has revealed to me that part of my problem is I need to ask you to forgive me for something. Mm. And he was very quiet. He said, yeah, what's that? And I said, could you please forgive me for my bitterness towards you? See, I was focused on my sin of bitterness, not his sin of sexually abusing my wife. Right, right. And it was my bitterness that was keeping me in bondage to him. And he said, uh, well, what? I don't know. I'm surprised. I said, well, you don't need to understand it. I'm going to ask you again, would you please forgive me for my bitterness towards you? And he said, well, yeah, I guess. And I said, okay, well, thank you. And I hung up. And that was the end of the conversation. <laughs> okay. And then uh, about a week later, I thought, my goodness, I haven't thought about him in a whole week. Wow. You know? And uh, so I thought, you know, I need to call him and tell him I love him. So I picked up the phone and called him. I said, hey, Bill, this is Gary. Yeah, what's up? I said, I just wanted to call and tell you that I am so grateful that you're my father-in-law. And I love you. And I'm so glad that God put you in my life. You see, for the first time in my relationship with my wife, I became grateful 
for the uh, folks that God put in her life. When you stop hating people, when you stop being bitter towards people, when you stop trying to uh, resist uh, all those emotional feelings you have, then you become free 100%. And guess what? It took about another six months. Sylvia did the same thing. She finally got free of that root of bitterness towards her parents. I call that the emotional surgery. Now, that scares people to death. And I'll tell you right now, it is the most difficult, challenging thing for a person to go through. But the only way you're going to get free of the past is to get free of your bitterness. It's that simple. So that reminds me of a story I just heard. I got to meet uh, Daryl Strawberry, the baseball player, recently. Okay. And uh, his his father, his biological father, uh, kind of tormented the family with a whole bunch of bad behavior. And I forget if he was 8 or 12 years old, but he said his dad came into the house with a shotgun and announced to the family that he was going to shoot everybody and kill them all. Right. Some, somehow Daryl's mom got the family out of the house without them getting shot and killed. And then that was kind of the end of seeing Daryl's dad. And he goes on to be a great baseball player and all this stuff and never reconnected with his dad. Yeah. And uh, he said he was out near where his father was and his father was uh, in in closer to death. And he said, God says, you know, stop what you're doing and go out and visit your dad and forgive him. Or uh, not forgive him. Ask him for forgiveness for Daryl. Uh, and he says, no, no, no. I don't want to do that, God. Right, yeah. <laughs> I don't want to do yeah. that. That's the last thing yeah. I want to do. Take two hours out of my day to drive. Right. Two hours, one direction to do something at an inconvenient time to come back to where I am. Like I'm sure. close, but like right. it's four hours of my day plus visiting my dad who I don't want to see. And I don't want to ask him for, to forgive me. Right. Like you mean I should forgive him and God right. said, no, that's, that's not what I'm asking you to do. Go ask for his forgiveness. And he said, sure enough, I did it. And I fought it the whole time. And tears and everything. I says, dad, will you forgive me for keeping you out of my life for all these years? And, you know, his dad says, yeah, I forgive you. And says, I left and I felt like a free man. I felt like I could finally live life. The demons and the cocaine and the alcohol and that all that stuff that fueled his whole life. Right. And everything. He said it was all gone. And I was finally able to just be healed instantly. Yeah. Yeah. It's very freeing. Uh, it's very freeing. Uh, you had mentioned that you wanted to talk a little bit about the poverty syndrome. Yes, 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 yeah. Please yeah, do because yeah, I, yeah. I, I that rings rings in a, a, a chord with me. Um, people, people have a, a way of uh, living in a, just a, a struggle life. Like you, you talked right. about um, a rejection junkie. So right. they're, they're continually living in this less than space instead of moving towards abundance and freedom and uh you know accepting god's love in full instead so i don't know if i don't know if poverty syndrome relates to that but those are things i hear all the time or observe all the time well uh, the, the thing is you know there's a difference uh, between a poverty mindset and being broke uh when sylvia and i retired in 2003 from our counseling ministry uh we had planned our retirement for 25 years and uh, it took me six weeks to uncover the fact that we'd already lost 65% of our retirement portfolio in the stock crash back in 2003. Uh, and a lot of that was because of the stock market was so going up and down right, so much right. because yeah. of 9-11, right? And uh, so uh, we had we lived on what we had left for the next five years. And I had never worked for anyone else. I did not want to go get a job somewhere. 
And uh, so we ran out of money. And then the Great Recession hit 2008, 2009, right? And uh, so here I am. I'm 65 years old. No money. Lord, this is not supposed wow. to happen. I was in total shock because I did everything right and everything went wrong. And uh, so uh, we ended up uh, losing the house that we lived in for 18 years. Oh, my. Uh, we ended up filing bankruptcy. I'll never forget the day that Sylvia and I were in bankruptcy court. Uh, we started to hold hands. And uh, we started to hold hands with our right hands. And the judge said, you can't use those hands. You have to raise those to swear that you're going to tell the truth. <laughs> and so here we were, uh, 65 years old, filing bankruptcy. And uh, so uh, God introduced me to a group of real estate investors here in the Valley. And uh, they're a nationwide company. And I decided at a young age of 65, I'm going to re-educate myself and learn how to become a successful real estate investor. And uh, God bless us. I mean, the first 14 months, I generated just under $212,000 in, in uh, income. And uh, in the first two years, I became one of the top 10 income earners in the company. And that's just because that's where God wanted me, right? I give God 100% of the credit. And uh, so things were going well. I went back on the radio, uh, but I didn't go back on as a counselor. I went back on to help people learn how to gain their financial freedom. And uh, so through real estate investing, well, then uh, the, the pandemic hit in 2020. Yeah. But we stayed on the air for that year. And in 2021, I started enrolling students. I started doing some deals again because everything went dead during the pandemic. And uh, so I thought this is going to be a great year. 2021 is going to be the year of recovery. Well, in January of 2021, the last week, I had a stroke, Dan. Oh, my. And yeah, and uh, I was in Mayo Hospital for three or four days. I was in rehab for seven days. Uh, I lost my sight, lost my ability to walk. And it took me a while to recover. I'm doing great. Thank God I never lost my voice. And so I thought, you know what? Uh, I'm, I'm going to uh, reposition myself and become a life coach because uh, I can do that from my home and work with men and women and still bring value to other people's lives. I told Sylvia, sweetheart, I refuse to live without a purpose. And, you know, uh, if you don't have a purpose, you don't really have a life. And I've had people say, well, Dr. G, when are you going to retire? And I said, well, probably when I die, that would be a good time. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I think that's time for me to retire. But in my book, Rejection Junkies, there's a chapter on the failure syndrome. And there's a chapter on the uh, poverty syndrome. Uh, you learn how to recycle your financial well-being or lack of well-being through the rejection patterns you earn, uh, learned in early years of your life. Okay, for an example, my dad was an irresponsible spender. Uh, he uh, worked his way up in the company, made good money, but he spent himself silly. They bought all kinds of gimmicks and gadgets and cars, but he was always broke. He made good money, but he's always broke. And so irresponsible spending is a symptom of the poverty syndrome. Having a low self-esteem. I don't deserve this uh, financial well-being. I don't deserve what what's coming my way. And so you just recreate financial stress. It's a matter of having a low self-esteem. And then uh, 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 mis misplaced blame. Well, uh, I would be more successful if my father and mother would have taught me. I'd be more successful if I had a better education. Uh, I would be better and more successful if so-and-so would have helped me more. Uh, you know, 
if if they didn't keep me from being successful, always blaming other people. You met people like that, haven't you, Dan? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, those those are the ones that I was talking about. There was one I was with yesterday, and he says, "But I'm a single dad. What in the heck am I going to do? Like, I got to work all the time. I got to blah blah blah." And I was right. like, "Man, you're like like that survivor that you're talking about. Like, he's ready to fight, and there wasn't a fight. There was nothing right. to like. It's all just baggage that he had. And I'm like, man, let that stuff go. And the yeah. person that was talking to him says, "Can I? Can I?" talk to you about that you know in front of this group of people and she jumped into it a little bit and yeah it, it irks me when i see people just holding on to that stuff and you know right just, they won't they won't drop it they won't drop well they don't know how to drop it that's why i encourage your audience to buy my book rejection junkies uh dan i'll, I'll tell you this i tell everybody hey you know the reason i wrote this book and they'll say why i said because you need it this book has been written just for you and that's because every Christian, non-Christian, every person suffers from the addiction to hidden rejection. You're going to recreate in your marriage relationship. You're going to recreate in your adult relationships. You're going to recreate in your financial well-being. You're going to recreate recreate in every area of your life. Uh, there's one chapter, it is rejection when. There's about 260 different examples of covert and overt rejection. For an example, Covert rejection. Did you know that being an, an only child is a form of covert rejection? <laughs> Let's see. Uh, I, I've counseled a lot of men who were the only child that married a woman who was very domineering. Why hmm. did they marry that domineering woman? Because they were used to being dominated by mama. So they had to marry another mama. <laughs> and I say it like this, Dan. In every marriage, there's a parent and there's a child. It has nothing to do with gender. It has to do with personalities. Personalities, yeah, yeah. Personality, okay. In my marriage, I was the parent. Sylvia was the child. She was the passive one. She was the nonverbal one. She was the hidden one. She was the secret keeper, okay. I was the dominant one. She needed someone to dominate. I needed someone to dominate. See how that works together? Just like a glove on a hand. Right. And that's true for every marriage. In every marriage, there's a parent and there's a child. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. You got me, I, got me, yeah. You got me thinking. So. Uh, oh, okay. Who's the parent in your marriage? Uh, we've, we've got a pretty healthy marriage now. So when I think about it now, back, back then, I'd back, say, yeah, I was, let's talk back yeah, then, back, yeah. back then, I'd say I was more, you know, more the kid. I, you know, okay. looking at the escaper and survivor, I'm like, I was a escaper. I would say in my marriage. Yeah. And outside of my marriage, I was a survivor. Like there wasn't anything that was going to beat me down. So I was absolutely going to survive. But if I had to do something or stand up for something or respond to something, I feared what my response would be because you know, I was going to react and react with anger and, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. So rather than that, I'd, I'd escape. And I think back, you know, my dad saved his tongue a little bit and he'd go escape and work outside work in the garage so that he didn't yeah. respond with anger and uh so i, I took that same similar pattern good, and then good once i decided you know hey I'm, I'm not quite doing this right you know i'm certainly not living the biblical way and i said let me let me try to figure out figure out what that means let me figure out how to be you know the spiritual leader of the family let me right so i started diving into that and figuring out ways to respect my wife honor my wife cherish my wife and um you know, just be practical about it, change some people I hung around. And um, so now I, I don't know the answer right now, which one's the parent or the child. Right. Um, 
and I almost feel like I dishonor my wife if I said I was the parent. Uh, but well, no, 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 that, the, no. It's not a matter of honor or dishonor. It's a matter of truth. It's a matter of personalities. Opposites attract. Then they attack. Then they retract. You're 51 years old. You said back then I probably was the parent. But since no, you back then, I was probably was the child. Back then, I was definitely the child. Uh, the child, I mean. Yeah. And back then, you were the child. But since you've gotten saved, the Holy Spirit dwells in you. You've gotten in the Word of God. You've gained some knowledge. And so you have become more of a balanced person. You see, here again, let's go back to our soul. Our soul is comprised of our, our mind, what we know to be true. It's our emotions, what we feel to be true. And when what we know and how we feel collide, then that damages our will. That's our third component. Our will is our ability to respond to life circumstances. So instead of having joy and peace, we have fear and anxiety, feelings of insecurity, feelings of inadequacy, feelings of inferiority, sexual conflicts, uh, lack of affection, uh, lack of uh, motivation. And so, so it goes on and on and on. See, what we know and what we feel are always in conflict until we come to the place where we get free from our bitterness towards the past. Now, when that root of bitterness disappears, then the mind and emotion can be put in submission to the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? That makes sense. See, that's why I say every Christian should stop living for the Lord. Okay? Why frustrate Christians live for the Lord? Spirit-controlled Christians let the Lord live through them. When I start getting free of my bitterness, then I can start being controlled by the Holy Spirit and manifest the fruits of the Spirit. And see, you mentioned just a few minutes ago in your conversation, Dad, that uh, about you learning how to re respect your wife and show reverence to your wife. Uh, I haven't met a man yet. You may be the uh, exception, but I haven't met a man yet whose father sat down with him and said, son, I want to teach you how to love a wife. Okay, now my dad <laughs> never taught me how to love a wife. Did yours? Well, this this was the advice he gave me, and I've in the last five years really started to understand the the wisdom behind it. But here here was the advice, and I told my brother this, passed passed the same knowledge along to him, so he can figure it out now too someday. But my dad says, uh, "Don't fall in love with the girl you're gonna marry. Fall in love with the girl or the woman she'll be after you marry her." <laughs> boy what's said, he he's smoking a dream pipe or something <laughs> yeah i said dad that sounds great that sounds great uh how how do i do that right exactly and he says uh well good luck son yeah right <laughs> yeah exactly yeah and and what i take from that now after being married for 20 years and and date my wife for a long time is uh every day she's a little different every day she's you know a little, you know, day older, you know, we've got kids, the kids are a little bit older now, every day, right. things change a little bit. And so sure. it is our job to fall in love with our wife. Again, it's a choice today. How am I going to show my wife? I love her. How am I going to love her well right. today? And, you know, things aren't always going to be static as a man. We could right. kind of exist in a uh, level you know, level, right. level life. Like we just keep every, all the variables the same. We'll just have fun and, and move through life, but life don't work that way. Right. Well, most men don't understand uh, uh, what the needs of a wife are. Uh, the Bible tells us in Ephesians five twenty five, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. 
So when Jesus died on the cross, he gave himself for us, for the church, for his bride. Well, a wife basically has five basic needs. She's got mental needs. She needs to be free from worry and anxiety. She's got emotional needs. She needs to be free from feelings of inferiority and insecurity and inadequacy. Okay? She has material needs. Now, I'm not saying greeds. Material needs. Comfortable housing. uh, uh, Food. um, And so on. Clothing. The basic necessity. Medical care. Okay? Uh, Fourthly, she has spiritual needs. Okay? A man can meet his spiritual needs by loving his wife as Christ loved the church. And, uh, and, and I should have said number four would be sexual needs. Okay, now a woman's sexual needs will never be satisfied if she is mentally and emotionally frustrated. It's an impossibility. You cannot separate a woman's emotions from her sexuality. If you do that, then you're creating what I call the personality patterns of a prostitute. And you'd be amazed at how many Christian women in the privacy of my office have said, Dr. G, I just feel like a prostitute because that's the way their husbands treat them, because they don't spend time with them mentally and emotionally. They don't spend time with them building that healthy relationship. Now, uh, what I'm going to say, we've been talking for quite a while, my friend. You just let me know when you're done. Uh, The bottom line is men need to stop putting themselves first and learn how to submit to their wives. Now, you say, well, wait a minute, Dr. G, the Bible says, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands. Well, I don't think a man can effectively, and I say effectively, love his wife on a healthy level till he learns to submit to all of her needs. Now, submission is not an easy thing for a man to do. You know, uh, but uh, I want you to understand that this is my conviction. Now, nobody has to believe this. Uh, I believe the wife is the Holy Spirit in a marriage. I, I will not make a major decision of any kind without seeking my wife's counsel. And why is that? Because she will always see things that I don't see. Yes. Because isn't that just like the Lord? He goes before us. Am I right or wrong? You're right. Yeah, big time. So our, our wives become the personification of the Holy Spirit when it comes to making decisions. The The two tools I, I, I hate to use the word tools, but uh, the two resources that I rely on for direction of my life is number one, the wisdom and counsel of my wife, and number two, the wisdom and counsel of the Word of God. Yeah. What about uh, what about other guys? What about other guys? Yeah. What about other guys? You don't have a third? Uh, no, and I, I don't listen to other guys. Okay. Yeah, other guys usually don't know their head from their feet. <laughs> I'm sorry. I. I understand. Uh, I understand. Uh, 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 I, I meet so many men who are just so uh, I agree. I agree. Frustrated mentally and emotionally uh, with themselves, let alone the marriage. Yeah, yeah. I'm thinking about whatever your decisions you're making. You know, filter it through some other godly counsels, so some yeah. other guys that you consider. Well, uh, like like the real estate guys, for instance. Those guys might have been great at real estate. Oh yeah, well, you, you, yeah, you're talking about business. I see what you're saying. I'm sorry, Dan. Yeah, business oh. or or even physical. You know, you're looking to get in better shape, or uh, oh, right. you're looking to spend some money on something, or whatever right. it might absolutely. be. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, uh, uh, I think everybody needs to have a mentor. Yeah, everybody needs to have uh, needs to have a go to person to say, "Hey, I want to run this by you. Could you give me some insight on what uh, I'm dealing with?" The trouble I had is when my marriage was 
so damaged and suffering. For an example, now here I am. I'm up in Winnipeg, Manitoba. Sylvia and I drove all the way out to Oxnard, California, to meet with the pastor for marriage counseling. And the first thing he did was the Taylor Johnson Temperament Analysis Profile. It's put out by psychological publications in L.A. And uh, it gives you a printout of nine emotional patterns. For an example, how hostile are you versus passive? How depressive are you versus lighthearted? How self-disciplined are you versus impulsive? And pretty well, I call, I call it the emotional snapshot. It gives me a, a snapshot of where you are. And so here's this guy. He saw Sylvia's emotional printout. And he said, I'm going to ask you a question, Sylvia. She says, okay. And he, he said, who sexually abused you? See, I had never told anybody. Sylvia thought I, I had told him yeah, before. Yeah, you said, totally betrayed her. Yeah. So I thought, boy, this guy's good. He hit it right on. Well, we got back to Winnipeg. And about two weeks later, I'm reading in the Winnipeg Free Press that Pastor So-and-so from Oxnard, California, had been arrested for soliciting the services of a prostitute. And I thought, oh, my goodness. <laughs> I, 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 what are the odds, Dan? And so I have been very, very careful who I go to for advice. And that, that doesn't mean there are not other people out there qualified. As you said, in my real estate business, absolutely. I had some great mentors. Uh, in my counseling practice, I went to Denver, Colorado, and uh, trying to think of the guy's name now. He wrote the book, Handbook to Happiness. And uh, he had counseling training up there. He was a wonderful mentor. And so anyway, but that was, my goodness, that was 40 years ago. <laughs> so Right, right. Yeah. Some, you know, uh, I'm 79 years old, headed towards 80. And so I'm not getting any younger, but uh, well, I'll tell you what, I'm enjoying life. Good, good. I'll say you certainly sound like it. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, that stroke, uh, having a stroke is very humbling. Uh, it makes you face your mortality. Yes. And I'm laying there in, in the rehab uh, room and they, they have a big window and then they have a patio outside of your window. Uh, and then there's a brick wall. And I'm laying in that rehab room and I see that brick wall and I say, okay, Lord, uh, I was 76 when I had my stroke. Uh, I've got to get around that wall. I've got to get over it. I've got to get under it. But that brick wall is not going to be where I end life. You've got more of a purpose for me than this. And so uh, my heart goes out to people who, uh, uh, when they see that brick wall, they give up. They say, I just can't go any further. And you know, strokes are not just for older people. Uh, when I was in rehab, there was a young lady there. She was 26 years old, and uh, she had never smoked, never drank, never did drugs. She was celebrating her third wedding anniversary with her husband on a Saturday night, and she had a stroke right there in the restaurant. And bless her heart, she was sitting next to me at the luncheon table. She couldn't even feed herself, Dan. Mm. Uh, every 40 seconds, someone in our country has a stroke. Every 40 seconds. And uh, and 23% of those that have strokes are under 30 years of age. So it's just, an, uh, just a, a national uh, percentage of people. So anyway, Dan, I have really enjoyed visiting with you today. Yes, yes, absolutely. So thankful to have you come on. And uh, you bring the stroke up and you had me thinking about just how, you know, you never know if you get your next breath or not, like that's not something that we control. We take it for granted oftentimes. However, well, yeah, the Bible says, boast not thyself for tomorrow for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. And you know, you're absolutely right. We don't know, but we can't live in fear of the future. No, you know, Dan, you could step out your door on the, on the way home from work, get hit by a truck dead, you know, could have died this morning. Matter of fact, pardon. I was driving into the office and, 
There was a wreck that had happened about six minutes before I got there. Wow. I left and it was a multi-car pile up on the interstate and I left six minutes late. So at the time I had planned to leave my house, I got delayed by six minutes and a buddy of mine was going to the same place I was going and he texted me. He's like, Hey, this place is a parking lot. What the heck is going on? I can't, can't get down the road. So I'd already made it to where I was going. I was close enough where I was able to get through before they closed the interstate. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, my, uh, my confidence is in the fact that God knows the hour, God knows the time. And thank God, I don't have to worry about where I'm going after I, after he takes me, I'm going to be with the Lord. And, and I heard Bill Gaither say, uh, the Lord says, uh, the Bible says the Lord is with us and in us. And uh, then the Bible says when we die, that we will be with him. So those who have gone on before us are with him. So they can't be too far away from us, can they? No, 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 yeah, no, no. It's, it's something when you've got confidence that you've got a strong relationship with the Lord and you know, at the end of the day where you're going. Right. So the troubles of today are pretty small when you think about eternity. Well, you know, Paul says it very simply to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Now I'm present with the Lord now because the Holy spirit dwells in me. But uh, when this uh, vapor called life disappears, I'll be with the Lord. Mm-hmm. And that's such a comfort to know. As a matter of fact, I was talking to my older son the other day, and he said, Dad, aren't you excited about the fact that you have that hope in Christ? I said, absolutely. I'm looking forward. Uh, now, I'm not saying I want to pull the plug today, but I'm <laughs> grateful that I know where I'm going, okay? Yes, absolutely. Big so time. we always like to to close out the podcast with a challenge for the guys, something that they can do week to week. Uh, something that helps them become a better dad, better husband, somehow better, better Christian. Have you got some type of a challenge that you can throw out something they can do? It could be simple or it could be something that's a little harder, but something they can do between this week and next week. Well, uh, I'm going to be real bold here and I'm going to say, yes, go to my website, rejection junkies. That's J U N K I E S rejection junkies.com and order my book, rejection junkies. It's an easy read. It's only 180 pages. But what it's going to do is going to give you a roadmap to breaking the negative patterns that are controlling you, no matter whether it's an emotional habit, a physical habit, a mental habit. You will be able to get yourself positioned to get out of the past, get into the present, and create the future you want. This book will take you in that direction, absolutely. And so I said, make yourself a priority, gentlemen. Uh, Position yourself to learn how to love yourself. And when you read uh, in my book, Rejection Junkie, there's a chapter. It's entitled, Never Again. You you will never again allow yourself to be put back into bondage. And hey, guess what? When you get free from your bondage, then you're going to be able to help your wife get free from her bondage. And you'll be amazed at the marriages that are turned around as a result of getting free mentally and emotionally. So that's my suggest make make yourself a priority. I'm sorry, Dan. There you go. Make there you go. Make yourself a priority. Right. So yes, ordering the book, reading the book, putting into practice what what you learn from the book. Absolutely great. Right. Absolutely. If they wanted something, uh, if they uh, wanted uh, a bite-sized chunk or maybe a cup of coffee instead of the whole earn a coffee, what's a little bite-sized chunk of something they could do to make themselves a priority this week? Oh my goodness, I hate to give band-aid therapy, okay? Uh, but I, when it comes to developing a positive self-image, 
Uh, once they get free from the past, I give them step by step that they can do in one chapter uh, called uh, Never Again. Okay. Uh, I, I, I hesitate to give that out because uh, it's going to take it out of context. Okay. Okay. I'm, I'm going to keep that a secret for right now. All right. We'll keep that okay. a secret. We'll keep that yeah. a secret. <laughs> uh, the bottom line is I want to say this again a man's ability to love his wife is the overflow of his own self esteem. If, gentlemen, if you don't make yourself a priority and you don't learn how to love yourself unconditionally as God loves you, you will never, never, never be able to love a wife on the level God wants you to love that wife. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. I would say make yourself a priority. You know, I'm, I'm not going to give you some behavior patterns to change. I don't focus on behavior, Dan. Yeah. I like, I like that you focus on the root cause and the, the, right, the, big time. the bitterness. Yeah. Right. Getting rid of that. So right. may, maybe I'll add a little bit for, for guys that don't order the book. Uh, maybe if you accomplish this little little thing that I'll suggest, it'll help you jump in and order the book and, and do some more work. But wherever you have that anger in your life and you find that it keeps coming back, try to identify whatever the root is, whatever that might be, and uh, and pray about it, figure out a direction that you can take on it. Um, the fact that, and Todd Stoudemire talked about this also when he's on the podcast, just recognizing that negative emotion, that anger emotion, when it's jumping out at you and noticing a recurring yeah. pattern is like the first step to realizing, huh, that keeps coming back. Like when your wife, Sylvia said, well, you're an angry man. Right. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm not. Yeah. No, I'm shaking not. your yeah. fist at her. Yeah. Big time. <laughs> well, well, dang it. Maybe I. <laughs> yeah. Big time. Oh, by the way, Dan, uh, if they go to my website, rejection junk com on the home page there's a quiz they can take there's no charge Ooh, for that i like it i like it, it says are you a rejection junkie and if they do that quiz i'll get it in my inbox and i will give that i will return an email to them and then we will arrange a 30 minute absolutely cause free 30 minute uh conversation about the results of their quiz that's awesome yeah yeah well i want to do that you know I'm basically retired at this time of life, and I just want to help people as much as I can. Now, there are some people who uh, don't don't want any help. I don't spend time with folks like that. Nope. Nope. You know, <laughs> I, I can't help those who don't want help. I've got a girl on my softball team, and man, every girl is like engaged and locked in, and there's this one girl, and I can't get her to can't get her to care about actually getting better. Wow. And it's yeah. like I, I don't really want to spend much of my time over there because well people get comfortable in their misery dan yeah yeah they they get addicted to their misery and that's why i wrote the book rejection junkies okay overcoming the addiction everyone suffers mm. yeah even the most successful people i know outside looking in right. when you when you get to talk to them and they open up a little bit even they say yeah there's there's some stuff there that i'm working on or that i've well uh, let's look for an example would you say that uh, donald trump has a few rejection patterns oh my goodness <laughs> more than he's a few. wealthy do you yeah. think he's happy no 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 uh, i i counseled a fellow from california uh he uh is worth 110 million dollars uh, i've counseled some of the wealthiest and some of the poorest uh, at my time of retirement, my hourly rate was 485 an hour. Whew. And uh, this guy uh, had no intention of changing his life. The only reason he was coming to me for counseling was so he could say in his divorce process that he went for counseling and his wife didn't. And uh, the bottom line is he almost committed suicide. 
a family member interrupted. Now, this guy's wealthy, owned about six car dealerships. Do you think he was happy? No. You know, money money definitely can make your uh, conditions of life more comfortable. But some of the most miserable people in the world are wealthy people because money does not bring you joy. Let's close out on this. Uh, the difference between joyfulness and happiness. See, I tell everybody, I don't want you to focus on being happy. I don't want you to become a happy person. Now, let me explain why. Happiness is the emotion that you experience as a result of your circumstances. Well, I've got a new car. I'm happy. Oh, I have a new house. I'm happy. Uh, You know, I've got lots of money. I'm happy. But joyfulness is the emotion you experience in spite of your circumstances. Joyfulness comes from within the man, not from the outside circumstances. So, uh, folks, stop trying to be happy and learn how to get joyful. And you'll learn how to do that in my book, Rejection Junkies. All right. All right. Well, I have not read it yet, so I'm excited to read it and absolutely go for joy for sure. Well, and, and, and when you get it, Dan, uh, and you read it, I would appreciate it if you'd contact me and uh, give me your critique on it. Yeah, that'd be great. That'd be great. I look forward to it. I really would love to hear from you on that, man. All right. Yeah, absolutely. I'll, I'll do that. Right. And uh, I can't wait to have that conversation. All right. I'm looking forward to it, Dan. All right. You bet. Thank you so much, Dr. Gary. And guys, uh, throw us an Apple podcast review. Uh, If you throw a one star out there, that's fine. I won't get so upset about it. But uh, if it's a five star, that'd be great. Love for you to stick some words in there, too. Catch you guys next week. And thanks for thanks for taking Dr. Gary up on the the challenge this week. And uh, do read his book, Rejection Junkies. If you do, hit me up and I'll be glad to talk to you about it. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Catch you guys later. Thanks so much. Bye bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Journey of a Christian Dad podcast. Thank you guys for being a light. Shine that light out and let others see it. With you guys, part of this community, it helps me be accountable to you guys. It helps me be accountable to myself, be accountable to God and Jesus. I hope you appreciated this episode and picked up some great things. I hope you like the challenge and hope you can execute on that challenge this week. I ask of you, please subscribe, share the show with others. Join us inside of the Journey of a Christian Dad on Facebook, inside our private community. Share that community with others. Have your buddies join. Have other dads that are looking to grow in their faith, grow as spiritual leaders of their family. As we engage in our journey and be intentional with it, we can help others grow theirs as well. We thank you again for listening. We thank you for all your reviews. Look forward to reading a review of yours on a future show. So, dear God... Thanks for blessing all of us, and thanks for drawing us closer to you. In your name we pray. Amen. Have fun, guys.